Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. The scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can, extinct, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am, in, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So today we are wrapping up our sermon series called Numa: Understanding the Work of the Spirit. If you uh, if you've been with us, you know that the goal that we've had throughout our series uh, has been to try and consider more fully. Uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what we've done is we've seen the work of the Spirit in creation and in salvation and in the gifts uh, of the Spirit. And then last week we took a look at the, the ongoing work of the Spirit in our growth and in our maturity. Uh, and what I've hoped that we've uh, been able to see throughout the series is that while all of our hope is found in the person and work of Jesus, that hope only becomes ours because of the Spirit's application of that work in our lives. We have everything that we need for life and godliness because if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God within you. Now as a recap, last week we considered uh, three challenges that the Bible puts before us as we walk this life with the Spirit. Uh, last week we took a look at uh, what we're to make of uh, what, what the Bible means when uh, it talks about uh, the world and the flesh. Um, encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, and the last thing that we want to take a look at is another challenge that we will face, something uh, that we said we were going to pin last week, uh, is that of the evil one, the spiritual forces of darkness that exist. What are we to make of spiritual warfare uh, that comes and the attacks that come uh, against us by the evil one, if there is such a thing as an evil one, and in this final week, we're going to uh, really just be considering the nature of spiritual warfare uh, so that we can have a better sense of the battle that lays before each of us, but also the tools that we are given to fight that battle that's to come. And so with that in mind, let's consider what uh, the Apostle Paul tells us about spiritual warfare 
by looking at uh, these three things here in our passage, uh, the battle, the orders, and the armor. All right, let's look at each of those. So first, the battle. Uh, we need to begin by addressing the reality of spiritual warfare as a concept. Because that whole notion, I think for some, uh, we might actually be a little bit hesitant to embrace that whole notion of spiritual warfare and an evil one, uh, the devil, the demonic. But look at what Paul says in uh, verses 10 through 12. He puts it this way. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So right out of the gate here, Paul confronts us with the very reality that there really is a spiritual realm with which we must contend. And maybe now more than ever, right, at any point in uh, history, we are in constant need of this kind of confrontation, these kinds of reminders. Because in our contemporary Western world, we've really lost uh, our instincts around recognizing the enchanted and spiritual world in which we live. Many have uh, commentated on this, but famously, a uh, philosopher Charles Taylor talks about this, uh, the concept of the imminent frame, if you've maybe heard that before. But in essence, the imminent frame is this assumption that everything uh, is part of the natural order. That everything can be understood within the natural order. That everything is, is tangible. Everything is quantifiable. That there's, everything has a cause and effect relationship. And so it can be studied in various ways. And in that, all meaning, all purpose, all truth is found in that imminent frame or in the, in the tangible, within nature, within what we can touch and see. And to push that even further, there's something that's called the closed frame that he talks about. The closed frame is um, one's uh, instinct around just closing off anything to do with the transcendent. It's, a, it's kind of a rejection of the metaphysical, of the spiritual, uh, ideas like good and evil. They're just archaic ideas that maybe once were useful for, for us, but we no longer need today. Now, what's worth noting is that that perspective, right, just... It's certainly a, spec a perspective that I'm sure much of us, or many of us have, have heard about or experienced or believe. But I think it's worth noting that such a perspective uh, is actually um, a very culturally specific perspective. And it's actually a very culturally captive one. This perspective, it's almost entirely, the vast majority of those who hold to this kind of perspective explicitly are white Western uh, individuals. This is a very white Western assumption. Because by and large, minority communities in the West and majority regions uh, all around the world, particularly in the global South, find this type of perspective laughable. In fact, across most of human history, this kind of perspective would have been absolutely laughable. Of course, for most of human history and most people living today, of course, there's a spiritual realm. That said, there's also uh, another way to understand this whole idea of the imminent frame that, he, that uh, Charles Taylor talks about. It's not just the belief that there is no transcendent, there's no spiritual. There's one way, that's one way to understand it. But there's another way to understand it that even if we're open to the supernatural, functionally, we can live as though there isn't one. In the sense that it doesn't really impact our life. We don't really think much about it. And that's where I think most of us fall. That's the category that I think most of us fall into. And what I mean by this is that 
We don't deny the supernatural. We believe that maybe there's a supernatural that's there. And yet we nonetheless assume that all the problems that we, accept, that we uh, experience in the world, that they are testable, that they are verifiable, and that there's a cause and effect relationship and rationale to all of them. We don't really give much thought to the impact the spiritual realm might have on the various things that we experience throughout life. And so as a result of that, we look out into the world and we end up trying to find our meaning, our purpose, in the things that we can see and we can touch and that we can pursue. We approach the problems in the world, believing that there are obvious structural issues to address. There's obviously a need to pursue different kinds of resources. Or if I just want to attain certain goals in life, I need to attain those resources. I need to get a proper education. I need to seek the right kinds of strategies. That those are the things that are going to end up curing the problems that we have in this world, the problems that exist help me to attain what it is that I desire. In the end, we just assume everything is a cause and effect, controllable, verifiable, quantifiable reality. And for some, even our faith, right, the very thing that we're doing right now, gathering in a church, can also be very much a cause and effect, controllable reality. I mean, that's the, the irony I think many of us fall into. The irony is that we don't again, deny the supernatural, but we even use this faith as a means to an end, not really even thinking much about the spiritual in this context. And what I mean by that is we can attend church out of a sense of duty. It makes us good people to do that. Or we can gather in, in worship together because we practically, we desire to have relationships with other people. And so we're going to gather together so that I can have relationships with people or even to go even a step further we can gather or be a part of church communities or do various kinds of spiritual things as a way to appease God so that God is then compelled to bless me in my other endeavors. Again, it's a cause and effect, verifiable, kind of quantitative way to approach all of this. And we've functionally closed off ourselves to the reality of a world full of mystery, full of spirit, the spiritual, full of things that we cannot possibly understand or even combat, that we have, uh, we lack the strength to actually be able to fight against these spiritual forces of darkness that Paul speaks about. We don't think about them nearly as often as we should. And realistically, this impacts so much about what we believe to be good, right, and true in this life. I mean, think about it. If all we do is emphasize the imminence or that which is within the world functionally void of the transcendent, then all of our purpose, all of our meaning, all of our morality just become these subjective ideas because it obligates me to nothing beyond what's imminent here. There's nothing transcendent to which I must subject myself. All you have is you, which is why the entire notion of following your heart, doing what makes you happy, pursuing your dreams, has become the only standard of goodness. Because inside this imminent phrase, whether you're closed off or you're open to the spiritual, there really is no category to, our, to submit ourselves to something transcendent above me. And similarly, there is then no um, framework for addressing the very real forces of darkness that are set against us. And Paul says... We must take those forces seriously. And here's the reality. We talked a bit about this last week. One error for some is that some of us 
for sure, fall into one error, which is to overemphasize this reality. Meaning we overemphasize the spiritual forces of darkness, the spiritual uh, uh, work set against the, the demonic. Everything seems to be about evil. Everything seems to be about the demonic. And that perspective is not a faithful way to understand how the Bible talks about the broken and sinful world that we live in. The Bible just does not let us get away with blaming everything on demons. But that said, the Bible also doesn't let us get away with ignoring those evil forces of the world. And in many of our modern, uh, many in our modern Western age today, the idea of the spiritual, these principalities and powers is just laughable, dismissible, or for others, it's just neglected. There are spiritual forces at work, and we must discern how to fight well. So it's worth stopping for a moment, just so that each one of us can name which of those errors we probably more easily fall into. And I mean that literally. Like right now, you don't have to say it out loud, but think about it. Right now, which do you tend to err toward? Do you tend to overemphasize the demonic, the works of the devil in the world? Or do you tend to undermine it, not really giving it much thought? It's worth at least naming before we move forward. But regard, because regardless of the uh, error, whichever error it might be, the solution is actually the same. Which brings us now back to our passage where Paul, he points out uh, two things that we need to consider as we consider the fight, right? So if we're going to move forward, assuming that there really is these spiritual uh, forces of darkness working against us, what are we now supposed to do in order to fight those things well? Well, if we're going to fight, there are two things. We need to consider first that in this battle language that we're, that's, putting, that's uh, being put in front of us, that there are particular orders that we need to follow, and that second, there are, there's armor that we have been given in the fight. All right, so let's look at those two things, the orders that we've been given and the armor that we've been given. So first, uh, the orders. I find it fascinating, of course, that this entire, the language of this entire passage uh, is really one of a, of a commanding officer giving commands to a soldier. Right, Paul frames this entire idea of principalities and powers uh, in the language of battle and of warfare. And this is, this is significant because um, think about the uh, warfare imagery, right? And what it tends to highlight for us. I mean, think about battlefields. Right? They're often places of chaos and fear and uncertainty and exhaustion. They are places where soldiers advance uh, or are advanced upon. They are places where strength tends to come in numbers. They are places where going rogue and doing your own thing will tend to lead to very unfavorable outcomes for you because they are places where without orders, without proper guidance, one can actually be in grave danger when stepping into the fight. And with all that imagery in mind, we're reminded of exactly where one actually finds their strength and finds their boldness and their confidence to step into that spiritual battle. And Paul gives us uh, that, uh, that foundation in verse 10. The very uh, beginning of our passage, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Interesting that he starts there. That it's the Lord giving the orders. It's the Lord giving strength. It's the Lord who goes actually before us in the battle. This is really important for considering how we go about stepping into spiritual warfare. Um, there's a great scene in the Return of the King, which is, of course, part of the Lord of the Rings saga, where at the very end of, the, of the, uh, the movie, there's this small band of soldiers, maybe you remember it, small band of soldiers who approach the Black Gate. 
And behind that black gate are all the forces of evil that exist, right? They're all waiting for them behind that black gate. And they know that storming that gate is almost certain death, a suicide mission. For their, their group is far too small to overcome the powers of darkness, the enemy that are behind that, back, that, behind that gate. But then there's this great moment where Aragon, who's the, the king of Gondor, will become the king of Gondor, steps in front of the small band of soldiers. And if you remember, he doesn't send them out to fight. He doesn't simply stand back and watch them fight. Instead, you remember what he does? He steps forward, and then he himself, by himself, rushes the gate. And in doing so, this small band of soldiers, they find this bold strength, and they confidently then follow their king. And that's such a powerful scene. And as I've thought about that scene, I've wondered, what makes that scene so powerful, for us, so moving? Why does that kind of scene hit us so intensely? Why does the strength of the king to fight for his people move us so deeply? Well, it's because Aragon is he's a dim reflection of, a, of another king. He's a dim reflection of a, of a true king who is not only this example of bold bravery stepping out into the fight, but rather he's the dim reflection of the king who actually is the very source of the power for the battle of the fight who also goes out before us. And as such, there's no conceivable way, right? if that's all true, there's no conceivable way for us to fight the forces of darkness unless we, without hesitation, recognize the strength of our king and as a result, submit to and follow his leading, wherever that leading might end up going. The Lord is the one with the mighty power, and it is from him that we're able to actually receive our orders to fight. And following him is where we find our strength. But here's the trick. Our willingness to trust our commanding officer, our king, to lead us well, is actually the key to whether or not we end up finding the strength that he promises. You know, for some, following Aragon was a, he was, it was a fool's errand. Again, it was a suicide mission. Because as our king leads and guides, there's going to be similar situations. There's going to be situations where following the commands of our king will seem like an absolute suicide mission from the perspective of the world. You know, for example, we use the, the paradigm all the time, this paradigm all the time around here, just because of how often the Bible talks about these topics. But just think about the commands that Jesus provides to his people, to his soldiers, so to speak, in his word, around money, sex, and power, as an example. Each of these commands, if we were to follow the ways that Jesus commands us to live in each of those areas, it's going to end up seeming like a suicide mission for most. I mean, consider money. The Christian's orders are to be ethical in business practices, to have a work-life balance through Sabbath rest, to have radical generosity in the way that they live. That calls us to give even to the point that it hurts sometimes. Now that sounds like a surefire way to kill your career, your success, and your security. And yet your commanding officer says, trust and obey me. Think about sex. The Christian's orders are to view sex not as an identity, or the pursuit of self-discovery, or even an experience of pleasure, but as a mutually self-giving act of love in the confines of marriage, where a man and a woman give themselves fully to one another. That sure sounds like a surefire way 
to your hopes, your joys, and your pursuits of fulfillment. And yet your commanding officer says, trust and obey me. Think about with power. The Christian's orders are to lay down power, to pick up humility, to trust that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and to believe that the meek shall inherit the earth. That sounds like a surefire way to lose an election, to lose face, to lose control, and yet your commanding officer says, trust and obey me. I mean, following Jesus to the eyes of the world will look like Aragon rushing the black gate. It sounds like a fool's errand. It seems stupid, without merit, a suicide mission. But the Christian knows that our hope for victory is found nowhere else except by the mighty power and strength of our Lord and the orders and the commands which he gives to us. Now, before we move on and we consider maybe the tools that we are provided for this battle ahead, we can't move forward without first allowing everything that we just said to be to uh, confront us. I mean, the question really now does need to be, do we trust and obey the orders of our commanding officer, particularly when he gives orders that seem completely antithetical to what we might actually think is best? If we don't trust him and we don't desire to obey him, then frankly, nothing I'm about to say is going to matter. If we are actively disobeying his commands, if we are actively working against our ability, we are, as a result, are actively working against our ability to fight well. We have an enemy in ourselves in doing so. And no armor, the armor that we're about to look at, none of the armor is going to matter if we don't first and foremost trust our commanding officer, our king, who has gone before us. You know, one of the things that I, of course, I think about often is that the, the spiritual hardships and the challenges that we face, they're not always the result of our disobedience or sin that we allow to creep in our lives. But that's not always the case. They can be, at times, the very reason why the struggles come, because we have not obeyed in the ways that we should, and we haven't followed our commanding officer in the ways that we should. Sometimes the struggles we face are not the result of forces of darkness coming against us. They're purely the result of our ongoing disobedience. And so we need to at least address the fact that we need to have a constant posture of humble repentance before God, asking the Spirit of God to make it clear the places where we are not trusting our king, our commanding officer. Because the strength of the armor that we're about to consider is rooted in our trust in our king. That said, Having established that there's a battle to fight, having said that our, our, our victory is ultimately found in us trusting and obeying our king, what are the tools that he gives us for battle? Let's consider the armor, lastly. Uh, let's look at verses 12 through 18. Let me just reread that all for us so that we've uh, got it clear in our minds. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, there's a lot of benefit to going through each piece of the armor that Paul lays out there. And I think there's uh, certainly something that he's trying to communicate with each unique piece of armor that's there. Uh, we're not going to do that today, just largely because of time. However, if we were to take a step back, we're actually to look more fully at what Paul is doing in this passage. I actually think we can have a better foundation of the uh, battle that's before us and what God has actually given to us in order to fight that battle well. Meaning that without seeing the big picture of what Paul's presenting here, we're actually going to miss the real power of the armor that he lays out here. So we might assume that this armor um, is something that we can uh, achieve or attain, but here's what I want us to see. The armor that's laid out here is not armor that we can pursue or that we can attain or that we can achieve in any kind of way. But rather, what we're seeing here is that this armor is actually something that's already been given to us, much like what we considered last week. Something that we've been saying over and over again is that a, a vibrant, spirit-filled, mature faith, including the armor for spiritual warfare, has already been given to you. You have everything in your possession in order to fight well. If you're a Christian, you possess this armor already. How? How is it that everything that we see here is ours already? Well, to answer that question, I want you want to take us back to the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet is speaking of the coming Messiah King, the one who will come and conquer his enemies. And I want to read to you just some of the passages listed, uh, or that, uh, some of the passages in Isaiah and I want you just to listen to see if anything sounds familiar as I read these. All right, so this is coming from uh, Isaiah 11, uh, 4 and 5. The prophet says this. He says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. In Isaiah 42, speaking of that same victorious Messiah King, the prophet says that he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And then later on in fact 50, chapter 59, he says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in the zeal as a cloak. I mean, do you hear some of the similar language that's being used both in our passage in Ephesians, but many, many years before in Isaiah about this coming Messiah King? I mean, in the description of the armor, what Paul is doing is intentionally calling to mind passages like these that remind us not of some armor that we need to possess, but rather of the Messiah King, who is himself the one fighting the battle. I mean, this entire passage is reminding us of Jesus himself. How? Well, it's Jesus who is our righteousness. It's Jesus who is the truth. It's Jesus who is our shield. Jesus who is our peace, who is our salvation. Jesus is the word. I mean, whatever else Paul might be telling us about the different aspects of armor here, he is most certainly telling us that we need to take up the victory of Jesus as our armor. Now, over the years, this is completely, this has been a complete paradigm shift for me in the ways that I think about spiritual warfare. I mean, first, there are genuine and real spiritual forces of darkness set against you, against your family, against your friends, against your community, against every nation of the earth. Our struggle is against the authorities and the powers of the spiritual forces of evil. We need to remember that reality. And to reject or downplay or to ignore that reality leaves us susceptible to the schemes of the evil one. 
But the battle against those forces, right, the victory against those forces, is rooted in the knowledge that the king already possesses victory. And that we are simply growing in greater and greater dependence and reliance and obedience to our victorious king. I mean, coming back to what we uh, talked a little bit about last week, that means that our spiritual battle requires nothing spectacular or dramatic, but rather our spiritual battle is a commitment to daily, regularly, unwaveringly following and surrendering, surrendering to our king. Well, here's what I find fascinating. Here's the paradigm shift. Paul does not say that we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, look for the extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit's presence. Pursue extraordinary means to combat this great foe. He doesn't say that. Instead, what does he say? He says we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, remember what is true. Remember what is righteous. Remember the gospel that brought peace between you and God. Hold fast to faith. The faith that you have in your Savior King. For it's that faith that will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Remember your salvation. For it will protect your mind. Know the word. For it's a sword. Pray with the knowledge that the Spirit is with you in those prayers. I mean, my friends, spiritual warfare happens in what we call the ordinary means of grace. It happens in our regular rhythms of growth. That is where we see the armor. It happens in prayer. It happens in word. Uh, in the word, it happens through our commitment to regularly gather together in worship where we can remind one another of the hope that we possess in our Savior King. I mean, next week, we're going to be starting a, a series in the Psalms looking at uh, various spiritual practices and frankly, that series, that entire series, could rightly be entitled Spiritual Warfare. Those practices are the weapons of our warfare. And I know that for many who have maybe heard such things before, when in the midst of particularly hard seasons, right, when these rhythms of spiritual practices of faithfulness don't seem like they're working, they don't seem like they are sufficient because of what we are facing in those moments. We need to remember that even when it doesn't seem like it's working, that God, because he is faithful, is doing something, even when we don't realize it. I mean, at minimum, not keeping those rhythms isn't going to help anything. Not being ongoingly faithful isn't going to help anything. But like any battle, perseverance and trust in our commanding officer is key. I mean, I think about this in relation to Things like exercising. Every day, exercising is required every day to see any kind of meaningful progress. And I don't know if about you, but if you've ever spent a, a long time working out or doing various things, trying to get stronger, faster, whatever it might be, if you were to look at just that day of exercise, that day of exercise almost always feels completely useless. Because in that moment, you don't feel stronger, you haven't lost the weight you were hoping to. It doesn't seem like it's working. But we also know that if we keep at it day after day after day after day, that after time, we look back on where we were when we started, and then we begin to realize just how strong we've become. And similarly, with this ongoing battle, the, the things that God gives to us, these ordinary means of grace, in the moment, in that day, it might not feel like we have actually made any meaningful progress. But I promise you, because he's faithful, 
when we keep at it day after day after day, there will come a point we're able to look back and just see how far along he's brought us. And this is, the, this is the ways that God calls us to fight. We seek not the extraordinary, though God may at times bring the extraordinary into our lives, liberate us in dramatic ways that might actually happen. And we can even pray that God would do that in some way. But ultimately, even then, God is going to bring that mighty power as we regularly, daily, are submitting ourselves, trusting, obeying, and following our king. My friends, our king has already stormed the black gate, defeating the forces of evil that lie behind that black gate. We have nothing to fear against the enemy. There are no arrows that can take us down. And what we are doing now, right, in the rhythms of our life is trusting more and more in that victory through, again, what we call these ordinary means of grace, the ways that God meets us in regular, ordinary ways every day. And in the end, we trust that it's in those ordinary means of grace that the Spirit of God is strengthening us, little by little. And over the course of time, we will recognize just how far we've come. And so my prayer would be for all of us, number one, that we would recognize, first and foremost, we really do have an enemy. And there's an enemy that has plans and purposes set against us, forces of evil. That the primary way in which we can handle that is by trusting the leading of our king and his orders. And that the way in which, finally, we're able to grow into that strength is to commit to these regular rhythms of things that might seem simple and yet produce in us a strength that is beyond anything else that we could possibly attain. That's our armor. My prayer would be for all of us that that would become our rhythm as we step out into that fight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of great power. And with that great power, you have accomplished a great work in your son Jesus on our behalf. That it's Jesus who storms the black gate, so to speak. It's Jesus who has accomplished a great victory for us. We don't actually fight for victory. When we fight, we fight from victory because Jesus has accomplished it all. And that even the armor that we are given to fight is armor that is given to us in the work of Jesus. First, Jesus, who is our righteousness, our salvation, our truth, our word. And what you call us to is to daily commit to submitting and obeying him in greater and deeper ways. Make plain to us the ways in which we have not obeyed the commands of our commanding officer, our king. Spirit of God, make plain to us, even now, the ways that we don't trust him. And lead us in repentance before you. But also encourage us that as we bring that to you, you are a God who forgives, who is always desiring to welcome us back, even as we stray from you. And also encourage us to know that as we do that, we have the safety and protection of our King, the one who has fought and won the battle for us. We ask all this in his name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.